Welcome to Podventure Time. My name is Pat. And my name is Ben. What's up, Ben? Not much. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I'm stuck here in St. Louis where the pizza is just uh, snot on a saltine. Oh, that's funny. I'm in Cincinnati where the chili is not really chili. It's more of a condiment that they put weirdly on spaghetti. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know why cities insist on having terrible foods define them. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people would say the same thing about Chicago-style pizza and a bunch of other things, but... Well, but those people would be wrong. <laughs> There's no reason to say something silly like, oh, Chicago-style pizza's gross. Like, do you like lasagna? Then you like Chicago-style pizza. <laughs> yeah, it's like, do you like lasagna? Do you like pie crust? Then you've got, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, people. Uh, yeah, foods, foods are weird, especially regional foods. Yeah, I... Just as a warning to anyone who may be listening, if you find yourself in St. Louis, don't let anyone talk you into going to Emo's. It's offensively disgusting. <sighs> but you know what tastes good, Ben? What does? Ice cream. Yes, it does. And uh, that's a solid segue <laughs> into the actual podcast that we're going to do. This is Podventure Time, and we talk about the cartoon Adventure Time. We dive way too deep. And uh, it's my job as the resident Adventure Time fan to talk Ben into liking it. So, Ben, you want to just jump right into The Pods? Let's do it. All right. Season 2, episode 13 is called The Pods. Yeah. Uh, so this episode is uh, all based around Finn and Jake happening upon a gnome knight. Or not really a gnome knight. A gnome knight that looks like a frog. And then he finally corrects them both to say it's actually a gnome knight that was turned into a frog and is stuck that way until he completes his quest. Yeah, it's a much more difficult situation than the frog who just has to be kissed. Exactly. Finn and Jake happen upon him and, uh, and strike up a conversation with him because he, I guess, seems interesting. And when Finn learns that the gnome knight in frog form is looking for someone to take over his life quest, well, that just rings just about every bell that Finn has. Yeah, I think we uh, can say if we know one thing about Finn by now, it's that he can't resist a good quest. Yeah, and I think even more, I think he loves a good quest even more than a good fight, I would say. I think there's something larger and grander in scale about a quest that really, really gets Finn's engines going. Yeah, I think if he has a sort of a sense of purpose, then then he's going to be out there working hard to accomplish it. And he also seems to kind of have an old, uh, a, a soft spot for old guys who <laughs> are need someone to take over for them. Thinking of uh, Marceline's old henchman in particular here, and Finn seems to jump headlong into these quests and assume the role of the quester, I suppose, without any forethought about the fact that. If you take on an old man's quest that he's been waiting his entire life to end so that he can just die, that's not a short-term obligation that you're taking on. Yeah, it's not short-term, but I don't think that Finn's problem with it is that it was short-term. I think like that actually appeals to him. I think having a lifelong sense of purpose 
actually feels pretty good to him. It's really Jake who's not into the quest idea. Yeah, I do think that Finn would get tired of guarding a tiny treasure chest eventually. Uh, I believe that too. And so that's where we get to the quest. Uh, the quest is actually guarding a tiny treasure chest. And inside the tiny treasure chest are three beans. Magic beans. Classic old magic beans. <laughs> I don't know what to call them. They're, the magic beans are the plot element of any fantasy tale that lets you know uh, that it's not worth it. <laughs> like <laughs> It is the classic metaphor for this ain't worth it. Yeah, don't mess with the beans. The three beans are purported to have some properties. Two of them are good magic beans, and one is incredibly evil. And therefore, because we don't know which one is which, the Gnome Knight has decided that the best course of action is to simply guard all the beans, not let any of them be planted, because then you you satisfy the... You just protect, you protect everything. Yeah, you might not get the benefit of two good beans, but you don't risk having uh, a bad bean planted. Yeah, it's kind of a conservative approach, but really, you know, their lives weren't so bad before they, uh, without the good beans. So, you know, status quo maintenance is, is a, an admirable thing to set your sights on, I suppose. Right. Finn's kind of okay with it. Jake, on the other hand, is not okay with this new plan because it really cuts into his plan, which had been they had been discussing before they met the Gnome Knight. Jake's plan is that he is about to compete in the ice cream marathon. Which, which is, uh, I think, just what it sounds like. It's 26 miles of ice cream. I think so. And I think Jake's, Jake's more interested in the ice cream part than the distance running part, I think. And yes. uh, he is, in fact, looking to eat more ice cream than anyone ever has before. But now, taking on this quest, which requires essentially 24-7 vigilance... Really puts a hamper, puts a puts a crimp in that in that plan to eat a bunch of ice cream. Yeah, you can't just leave the treasure chest behind, and probably wouldn't be a great idea to take it on the ice cream marathon with you. So Jake is really worried that that they're gonna miss the ice cream marathon, and his impatience gets us started on the real plot of the episode. Right. So uh, Jake trying to come up with an idea that will probably fit into Finn's sense of honor. And, but also get him the, uh, the outcome that he needs, which is to get to the ice cream marathon. Jake suggests, why don't we just plant them all? Let's just plant the beans. And he appeals to Finn's sense of skill as an adventurer and says, whatever the evil is that comes out of the ground, we're awesome. We'll just kill it, and then it'll be gone, and we'll have saved it. We'll have saved everybody, and the problem will be gone. Right. If if they are the skilled adventurers that they say they are, then really guarding the treasure chest isn't the way that they should be approaching this. They should just go ahead and find the evil bean and eliminate whatever evil springs out of it. Right. And they'll have the added benefit of having planted two good beans, so they'll be bringing more, twice as much good into the world than they are evil. Yeah, you just got to beat the evil and then you get the good beans, and man, a couple of those beans are really good. Yeah. And even if they didn't beat the evil beans, I think his point is that they come out ahead in the deal. It's two good beans, and you only have one evil bean. So net-net, they're up one good. Okay, sure. Utilitarian calculus. Yeah. This kind of works on Finn. He says, you know, that doesn't sound like too crazy of an idea. So they go ahead and plant all three beans into the ground and then start taking watch to guard what happens when the beans sprout. But... 
Yeah, and they have to. They feel like I think they have to be on guard in case the the evil jumps out of the ground at any time. Right. But uh, Finn and Jake are not good at taking watch shifts. Yeah, they were not. They do not lead what I would call a rigorous and regimented lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> no. So maintaining an orderly watch is not in their skill set. What ends up happening is that they both fall asleep and are awoken to the sound of an enormous beanstalk shooting out of the ground. And so this wakes Finn up and Finn wakes up Jake and they're faced with their first dilemma, which is that a beanstalk has sprouted. And this is your classic like Jack and the beanstalk kind of giant magic beanstalk. One has sprouted out of the ground, but it's you don't know. They have no idea of knowing is this one of the good beans or is it the evil bean? They've got to be prepared. So uh, they grab their swords and wait. I won't say patiently, impatiently. And they get the gist of what's happening quickly, which is that a, a giant bean pod lowers itself to the ground and spurts something out. Yeah, this is the method of delivery for all of the things that the beans have to offer, be they good or evil. Right. A giant bean pod lowers itself to the earth and sort of pukes out something. Uh, And the first pod pukes out just about the most adorable thing I think I've seen on this show to date. Yeah, yeah, they're very, very cute. It is tiny piglets dressed in various outfits. Yeah, it's kind of the village piglets is the way I looked at them. Yeah, indeed. And they are very cute little piglets wearing very cute little outfits. And Jake is pretty much uh, immediately taken with them that these have these are just about the most adorable things he's ever seen as well. They've got to be good. Finn is more skeptical, but I think but he he also sees that this they probably should be good given how they look, but he wants to put them to the test. Yeah, I think Jake is uh, still operating under the kind of assumption that that we had when he told Finn that the the tree witch must be evil because she's ugly. And so I guess the corollary to that is that the piglets must be good because they're so gosh darn cute. Right. But Finn Finn wants to make sure that they put them to the test, and he means that literally. Uh, It's a pretty good sight gag where he lines them all up at school desks and gives them a written test, a written exam to yeah. determine whether you know, or not they are You know, how you evil. do when you want to find out whether someone's a good person. Right. A formal testing process. However, the piglets are not great at taking tests, as one might uh, imagine. The piglets kind of fail at even the basic processes of test taking. Some of them break their desks. Others aren't even able to hold up a pencil. A few of them manage to scratch and scribble some things onto the paper, but all in all, the test is pretty much inconclusive. But I think yeah. Finn, Finn goes ahead and gives him a pass on it and saying, you know, anyone who acts this cute probably can't be that evil. Yeah, if you're going to fail a test, just do it cutely and you'll probably still get ahead in life. Yep. So one bean sprout has sprouted and so far the results have been good. And at this moment, the second bean sprout sprouts, the beanstalk sprouts. And this one, I would say looks more evil because it has thorns but it also spits out something that seems relatively good which is 10 or so magic wands yeah and they seem to be good magic wands they're star shaped and brightly colored and finn and jake seem to seem intuitively to know how to use them mostly they're good for creating kind of sparkles and rainbows 
Yeah, they're like the Lisa Frank magic of magic wands. <laughs> like the, they would be good at creating Trapper Keeper unicorn covers. They may have come in handy when they were trying to get the treehouse ready for uh, Lady Rainicorn's parents to come over. Yeah, they would have definitely been hand- come in handy there, but they didn't have them then. But they have them now, and so now they have cute pigs wearing cute outfits and some pretty cute magic wands. Yeah, so that's that's two out of three pods, and two out of three are good, so I think we know to what to expect from the third pod. And that's when we see the third pod, which is the biggest of all of the of all the beanstalks. It sprouts, and a giant, giant bean pod comes falling down to earth and opens itself up a little bit, and something starts oozing out of it. Yeah, before it, before it starts oozing, though, uh, Finn does jump on top and try and stab it repeatedly with his sword, but he's unable to break its skin. Yeah, he follows the exact same logic you just followed, which is the process of elimination, that the first two were good, so this one's got to be evil. So it doesn't. he doesn't even take time to give this thing a test of any kind. He jumps into action immediately and starts trying to kill the pod upon its arrival. But Jake notices that there is something oozing out of the pod and kind of gets curious. Yeah, and like a one-year-old baby, just... His way of testing something is to eat it. And it turns out it tastes pretty good. And the reason it tastes pretty good is because this bean pod is filled with ice cream. And this is sort of a running theme throughout the episode is Jake's love of ice cream. Not only is it filled with ice cream, but when Jake eats the ice cream in the pod, it magically refills with the same amount of ice cream. It's an infinite ice cream pod. Yeah, I, I legitimately am jealous that I don't have a, uh, an infinite ice cream pod accessible to me at all times. Yeah, I mean, I guess the refrigeration seemed to be like an issue. I wasn't sure how long that would last there, if it would always stay frozen, but it seemed to be holding up okay. It was a magic item. Yeah, I mean, if you can make ice cream out of nothing, you can probably keep it cold pretty easily. Yeah, fair enough. And given that the boys learned some ice ninja skills from uh, their last encounter with the Ice King, <laughs> they could probably they could probably handle it. I think uh, I'm fine with cute pigs and magic wands are great, but I think if I had to pick a pod, I'd choose the ice cream pod. What about you? Oh, yeah, definitely. There is an inherent value in having infinite ice cream. There is a undetermined value in having pig friends. Now, would you have to keep the pod like locked away somewhere in your house to keep the kids out of it? Or, I mean, even just like keep bugs away, right? Like there's there's some logistics here that would get a little dicey but it seems like it yeah. seems like it'd still be worth it yeah you, there there could be a sort of an ant problem that would develop if you just had ice cream oozing out of a pod in your home all the time i suppose yeah i think you always think of all these responsible things i'm like bring on the ice cream pod and you have better ideas about ways to manage the ice cream pod as it enters our lives uh, <laughs> home ownership man uh i'm always thinking about just how how am i going to get rid of these damn ants and Jackie wishes that I would think about things like that because we do own our home. <laughs> uh, so we've got three pods and we have, I think, a dilemma because now we have three uh, results that are at the face value pretty okay. If the ice cream is good, then that means one of the first two pods were bad. And where does that leave us? And they kind of discuss this, but something has happened in the meantime that really makes it clear to them just exactly which pod was evil. Right. They look around after a quick discussion and ask, hey, where'd the pigs go? And Uh the pigs are gone, the wands are gone, 
And then we hear some screams in the distance. And Finn and Jake take off. And there at the nearest town, the pigs are terrorizing a nearby town by blasting them all with wands. Yeah, it appears that the wands, while good, can be used for evil if an evil pig gets its hooves on it. Right. And so we, we found out our, who our evil pod was. It, in fact, was the pigs. Their cuteness was merely a clever ruse, kind of gremlins style. Like, they start out cute, but if you get them wet, they become evil monsters. Yeah, I think the pigs were more calculating than that. I, they may have been putting on that whole cute thing as an act. They are dastardly, manipulative, little cute construction worker pigs. They are some of the most intelligent animals of the, of the animal universe, if I'm not mistaken. I think pigs are generally rated as pretty highly intelligent beings. I think that's right. I guess maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised. We, once again, a village is ruined by underestimating the intelligence of pigs. <laughs> classic. The classic tale, once again. But Jake, Jake and Finn do have a solve a problem now. They have rampaging pigs with magic wands, but they have an ace up their sleeve, and it's actually the tests that Finn made the pigs take right when they entered the world. Yeah, we get one of those cool moments where a weird piece of information that you may or may not have noticed yourself getting earlier in the episode comes back to be important. Right, and that is that on the test, in addition to asking uh, some pretty morally uh, guiding questions about good and evil, another question was generally just, do you have any allergies? So a part of the test was apparently just a basic medical history. And a few of the pigs sketched out that they were, in fact, allergic to ice cream. And this maybe should have been a clue because, I, you know, if, if, we, if I'm trying to think of a way that the allergy question could have been actually useful, probably being allergic to good things is at least a little bit of an indication about how evil you are. I mean, yeah, but I mean, maybe that's just the pig's way of saying they're like lactose intolerant, which I don't think is inherently evil. Yeah, we can't assume too much just from that information, but uh, we can use it against them once they turn bad. Yep, they've proven themselves evil, so now Finn and Jake have a plan, because now they have an unlimited supply of ice cream, and they know that that happens to be these pigs' kryptonite. They put that plan into action very, very quickly. They get their magic ice cream pod and start splurting, splurting, splurting ice cream out of there. And as soon as the ice cream touches any pig, the pig explodes into a, a shower of actually pretty f fun stuff, like flowers and rainbows and sparkles. So they there seem to be made up of kind of inherently good stuff, even though they are uh, they have evil, evil personalities. Yeah, that's right. Their, their guts appear to be, if not good, at least sort of pleasant. Mm -hmm. But the outside of the pigs is, is no good. They're, they're running around terrorizing the village and... Finn, as he says, in order, his method for, uh, he says, I'm going to go retribuse them. <laughs> and the way that he does that is to carry the pot around and basically shoot a jet of ice cream at each of the pigs and, and cause each pig to swell up and explode. Yeah. So he does. Uh, the plan works pretty effectively, frankly. There's one final pig at the end that Finn has a last-minute sort of crisis of conscience because the pig sort of starts to appear to be surrendering and Jake is Jake is all about just killing it and Finn's kind of questioning he, he still sees that cuteness and can't quite bring it to do itself but in that moment of hesitation the pig tries to take advantage of it and fires a wand at, at Jake or sorry fires a wand at Finn uh, that's my switching Finn and Jake for 
the episode this time. Um, and then Finn Finn fires back immediately once he sees that the the pig is actually just trying to manipulate him once again. And Finn takes care of him with the ice cream. So the yes, he does. The, I have uh, to point out yeah. here that I think it's probably my favorite joke of the episode. We didn't really mention that the pigs appear to have found out that the wands can compel someone to dance. And so they, they end up with glitter around Jake's head, and that seems to make him be <laughs> unable to dance. And so I thought as he was dancing in sort of a jubilant way for him to be shouting, Kill it! at Finn regarding the pig was pretty hilarious. Yeah, that's true. So we've got, uh, we've got all the pigs are gone, and the village has been saved. But the village is now covered with ice cream because... Little messy. Because the whole plan was to, cover, was to shoot them with ice cream. But... We step. What we get to head back again to the to our running joke that Jake loves ice cream, and so Jake is able to take care of the problem. Lickety split. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, he licks. He literally licks their their cottages clean. If it's, until if, they're sparkling. If that pun wasn't clear, and Jake, I think we should talk, has an amazing ability to consume just about any volume of ice cream and then simply re constitute his own size he can just sort of like digest it instantaneously which is a pretty useful talent yeah absolutely it appears that the ice cream quickly becomes a part of him which he therefore can control the size of right plan for better or worse kind of did work jake's plan actually worked out exactly as he kind of imagined it would which is that the evil did sprout from the earth and reveal itself and finn and jake were able to handle it yeah, they took care of it, and in time for the ice cream marathon, in fact. Yeah, and uh, we end with one last reminder that Jake loves ice cream. Yep, and the day is saved, and that, I suppose, is the end of the episode. What'd you think of this one? Well, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty classic example of some sort of, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, or you can't tell if something you can't tell if something's good or evil just by the way it looks. I mean, I think that was clearly the moral of the story and uh i thought that i thought that it was a pretty cute i mean the pigs were like visually adorable and really funny to watch i mean to see something so cute act so evil is pretty funny it's a pretty good sight yeah it's a sight gag that really worked i really liked when they were taking the test as well yeah so i liked it I, th- I thought this was a cute little cute little episode i think that it was just just one of those episodes that uh you don't have to think too much about just fun to watch yeah, I'm with you there. It was fun to watch. It wasn't, uh, you know, I don't think we're taking any heavy lessons away from it. And basically all we learned about Finn and Jake is that Jake really likes ice cream, which I probably would have assumed <laughs> anyway, just based on Jake's personality. But yeah, it, it's an enjoyable episode. I wasn't blown away by it. You know, it is what it is. I, I liked it. It's just kind of a, a throwaway. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and throw that away. And we'll move right into Season 2, Episode 14, which is called The Silent King. The Silent King. Well, this episode focuses around a king that we will get to, but it starts with Finn and Jake. We jump right into a battle between Finn and Jake and a the current ruler of the Goblin Nation. And, and his name is Zergiak. Zergiak, who is... He looks like some, like, sort of hobgoblin, goblinoid kind of creature, but is, is, is wholly distinct from the goblins in this world. The goblins in the Land of Ooh, by the way, are very, while they're small and green and kind of ugly, they don't seem to be inherently bad or evil. They're just 
a creature. Yeah, you don't need to roll for initiative when you come across these goblins. Indeed. Ooh, nice. Zergiok, though, is ruling them as an absolute dictator and is uh, his, his main way of uh, forcing submission is by demanding spankings at about all times of the day. Yeah, he's really into spanking the goblins. That seems to be sort of the both the method and the purpose of his being king. Right, yeah. It's his means of control and his reason for being. He seems to really like his job. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> so he is he's spanking the buns of the goblins day and night, and this has a expected effect on goblin morale, I would say. Yeah, no one wants their king to just be spanking them all the time. Yeah, they are not, they're not pleased. So Jake and Finn are there to take him down, and now Zergiak, we have to say, is some sort of magic user. Uh, he has a wand, and that, that's how generally he fights his battles. But Finn and Jake are very well matched to him, and are, they've handled magic users before, and they, uh, we open the episode with them basically dispatching Zergiak, not killing him, just deposing him and forcing him into retreat. Yeah, Zergiak, I think the best word here is vanquished. Sure. And he is forced to kind of blink out of existence and go back and lick his wounds. And because Finn and Jake have eliminated their evil spanking king, the goblins are extremely pleased with the two of them. Yeah, very pleased. And pleased to the point where the goblins request that Finn become their new king. They gotta have a king. Yeah. You know, he got rid of Zergiak. Somebody's gotta be king and... Hey, why not you? You're real tough and good. Yeah, the the goblins, the goblin uh, social structure seems to require a alpha of some kind. Yes, and we we learn more as we go further into the episode. Finn's initially reluctant to become the king, but the <laughs> goblins make it clear that in order for their society to function, they need a king because they all start declaring. Well, if no one is king, then no one can tell me what to do, and so I'm just going to go ahead, and uh, one of them is hammering his own hand because no one can tell him no, and then they uh, start sort of a citywide riot. Yeah, and so seeing this, Finn says, in order to save you guys from yourselves, I will become your king. I think Finn was reluctant because it's not his nature to be a ruler. He's That's not his desire. He He wants to be an adventurer, but when he saw that the lack of a king put these do- goblins basically into peril at their own hands, uh, I think then that triggered his sense of honor and his sense of duty, and then that allowed him to accept the title of king. He does say, you know, oh, I can't be your king, I'm an adventurer, but when it becomes clear that the only way to keep the goblins safe is to become their king, I think he kind of feels like he has no choice. Yeah. So he puts on the crown, and the <laughs> royal chief of staff, Gummy, uh, begins to kind of show him the ropes. Yeah. Uh, and Jake's along for the ride as, his, as, as Finn's queen. Yeah, Jake volunteers to be the queen. Right. And Jake basically gets to, t- gets to accept all of the uh, benefits of being royalty, the pampering, the servants, and all of that, while Finn is indoctrinated with what everyone would probably understand to be the downside of being a ruler of any kind. It's all the rules involved with ruling. Yeah, this is not just a plain old monarchy. This is a constitutional monarchy. Indeed. And the rules have been set forth and have been in place for many years. And the, as, any, as the ruler of the Goblin Kingdom, 
Finn needs to learn them. So the royal uh, chief of staff, Gummy, reads all of them to Finn. But as one can imagine, Finn isn't great at retaining that kind of information. Yeah, I think he just fell asleep before Gummy even got into the first rule. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't even make it past rule one. After, I, I really have to point out, uh, they they walk into the, the king's bedchamber, and there's a king-size bed for the royal couple, which Jake immediately asks that they make it into bunk beds. And uh, at that point, <laughs> my favorite character from the episode, Whisper Dan, springs into motion yeah. and cranks a crank, and then a big giant knife comes down and splits the bed into two and gets lifted up, and then they've got bunk beds. But uh, Whisper Dan is is my favorite character of... of it. it I think it's just his name, honestly, but yeah. he's my favorite character I remember seeing in a long time. Yeah, Whisper Dan's pretty great. I mean, Whisper Dan, uh, to describe him, he's just a, like a big iron robot that doesn't talk. Right. Kind of like in the style of like Big Friendly Giant, that kind of look, uh, or Iron Giant, and I can't remember what that movie's called. Um, but big hunk of iron, strong, but has no ability to speak, is just there for labor tasks, basically. But the name Whisper Dan is is mm, just right on the right on the money yeah it's just one of those like absurd off the wall like where did that even come from type of jokes which i really like about the show yeah whisper dan notwithstanding there are some other things that finn has to uh encounter in the process of learning to rule the goblins so when he wakes up in the morning he gets he gets a a real taste of what's what's in store for him yeah first thing in the morning he just wants to go take care of himself and he runs into some issues in the bathroom yep he tries to brush his own teeth and learns that rule number one which i mean rule number one really rule number one of being king for goblin kingdoms is that you don't brush your own teeth which i found interesting that that was the first thing they wrote down when they were listing all the rules of being king that was the highest priority maybe it's, uh, maybe it's chronological going through your day it could be i suppose that that would be one way of writing down the rules 6.30 a.m., rule number one, no brushing. The king does not brush his own teeth. Right. The, go the goblin servants must be the ones to do so. And when Finn resists, then he sees what happens if the rules are broken. The goblins freak out and request spankings. Yeah, it's they, they seem to think that if the rules are broken, then someone has to be punished, and this is a... A thing that I think you see with monarchs all over is that you can't punish, you know, I think of like a young prince or whatever. You can't spank the prince, and so you have to pull somebody else in to take his punishment. And so every time that Finn breaks a rule, the goblins expose their hams to him. But Finn's not into spanking hams. That's right. He is. the. That's the farthest thing he's into. He's interested in. Farthest from the thing he's interested in. Uh, yeah, he he tries to calm them down and... Uh, kind of acquiesces. He realizes, you know, okay, fine. If if this is how crazy you're going to get when I say I don't want to brush my own teeth, fine, you can brush my teeth. So he kind of says, like, I'll I'll, I'll submit to this one thing and hopefully, uh, you know, fight another battle another day. Yeah, I think if it's a choice between following the rules, which are, and in, in, they are an imposition, but they're, you know... They're manageable. So if it's a choice between following the rules and having to just constantly be spanking goblin hams, Finn just sort of decides that it's easier just to go ahead and follow the rules. But the rules are even harder to follow for Finn than please allow the goblins to brush your teeth. Yeah, it's, it, it essentially follows a similar pattern, which is that the king is essentially not allowed to do anything for himself. Correct. And we see that kind of played out in several different 
uh, arenas, uh, the next of which is eating a meal. He's not allowed to cut his own food, and he's not even allowed to chew his own food. He must eat the regurgitated food of a pre-chewed meal from the royal chief of staff. And Gummy is happy to chew up the ham for him, and then he... Very graphically, I thought, sort of extrudes it onto Finn's plate in a uh, sort of a pink slimy mess. Yeah, it is uh, it's disturbing to watch. And uh, Finn is appropriately repulsed. But you can see that each additional rule has taken even more and more toll on Finn's psyche. Finn's a character of action. He's a creature of movement and a creature of doing things and a creature of action. So having all of his agency taken away may be the hardest thing he could ever have to endure. Yes, I think that the overriding theme of the rules is that the king doesn't do anything. And right. so as Finn starts to realize that, it becomes clear that this job is not compatible with his nature. Yeah, and this comes to a head when it's announced and, and revealed that there is a thief in town that is currently trying to rob somebody. Um, and at this, Finn thinks, oh, fantastic, Something I know yeah, how this to is do. Why I, this is why I decided to be the king, is right. so that I can go help out the goblins by capturing thieves and the like. That's right, and it's something that he is trained to do. It's something he knows how to do. It's, it's, this is him, capturing thieves and beating bad guys. So he tries to leap into action, but is again stopped by the rules and by Gummy, who tells him that the king does not fight anybody. It is the king's job to deliver a speech to dissuade the thief from his thievery ways and then even further beyond that it turns out that the king isn't even allowed to give the speech the royal speech giver is the one that gives the speech (laughs) and he he's about to launch into what appears to be quite the long oratory yeah uh but it's it's not working the thief is still stealing the uh, I think it's hot buns again. Yeah, there's a. <laughs> He's still stealing the hot buns from the old lady, and Finn can't just sit idly by and listen to his speech and watch this happen. So, Finn goes ahead and breaks the rules and jumps into action. Yeah, uh, and the hot buns. I mean, I think there's just a running gag through the whole episode of how many different ways you can say buttocks, basically. Uh, so there's ham so, yeah. joke. There's ham jokes. There's buns jokes. It's uh, it's pretty much what you're dealing with this whole time. But yeah, Finn tries to. Finn jumps into action. He can't take it anymore, and he he defeats the thief, and sends him on his way. But this brazen breaking of the rules throws the entire town into a tizzy. The goblins can't handle this, and every single goblin essentially volunteers at this point for spankings because such a huge number of rules have been broken. Yeah, at this point, it became clear to me. I think that this was sort of the way that Zergiak was able to constantly be spanking the goblins, not so much just because he was king and he told him that he wanted to, but Zergiak appears to be flouting the rules as well, and so the goblins kind of had to expose their hams to him so that he could spank them because Zergiak was out breaking the rules. And so now they've got Finn, and I think one of the goblins actually calls him like Zergiak number two right? because he's flouting the rules, uh, but then Finn sings a song about how he's not interested in spanking Goblin Ham. Yeah, uh, he sings a quite quite poignant little ballad about not being interested in spanking Goblin Hams. Uh, it was a solid song. Yes, it was. But at the end of it, there's a new danger on the horizon, and 
it's that Zergiak is returning. Yeah, he's marching on the castle with an army of Earclops. Yeah, Earclops, which was a g- another good gag. Think of a Cyclops, it has one eye, and Earclops is essentially a giant that only has a giant ear for a head and face. So he has an army of Earclops, and he is, gonna, he is coming to retake his kingdom. And Finn has a problem, because Finn wants to fight Zergiok because he doesn't want the doesn't want Zergiok back and uh, terrorizing the goblins, but he knows that if the goblins see him fight, that may be just as traumatic for the goblins, and uh, he'd be he'd be treating one evil for another essentially one one bad outcome for another, and so he yeah it it appears that the the goblins are overmatched by the Earclops army, but Finn doesn't really. He knows that he can't just run out and lead the army into battle. Um, he has to find a way to disguise himself first. Right. And oh boy, does he. Um, this was the best gag of the... I love this gag. <laughs> he says he tells Jake, I need a disguise. And so Jake says, hop in my mouth. So Finn does, without question, hops right in. And they become essentially uh, a Voltron-style sort of unified fighting f- fighting force. Basically. Yeah, that's exactly the analogy I was going to make, although I was going to go with Power Rangers, but Voltron is on point as well. Yeah, I mean, basically, Jake Finn is now sort of wearing, like, Jake armor, and they are fighting as one. Yeah, it's the Jake suit. The Jake suit, that's right. And I should mention that the Jake suit is ripped. Like, Finn, Finn has six-pack, maybe even an eight-pack, and very well-defined glutes. It, while wearing yeah. while wearing the Jake armor, I think in super an, jacked uh, with a long flowing tail. Yeah, I think uh, in another nod to how many butt jokes can they make during the episode, they paid <laughs> special attention to the Jake suit's uh, butt region when drawing it. But Finn and Jake uh, leap into action and are in full disguise. No one possibly could recognize him. Of course, they leap into action fighting Zergiok and take down the Cyclops, the Earclops, sorry, army handily. And they do so by using some pretty clever tactics. Frankly, they use sound to fight the Earclops. They use loud claps and loud shouts. Finn and Jake seem to know the Earclops's strengths and weaknesses better than Zergiok does. Yeah. I mean, and then they, they tell him at the end, they tell Zergiok, you know, only a fool goes into battle with Earclops' army uh, without earplugs. Right. So the, the Earclops' army is defeated. Uh, they end up in sort of another, you know, one-on-one battle with Zergiok, but they manage to vanquish him again, and the Goblin Day is saved. Yeah. And then they return to the castle, where the other half of Finn's plan has been put into motion, because while he was away, he knew that he would need to have some sort of decoy sitting on the throne so that no one would suspect that he was, he was out in the battlefield. So uh, his clever ruse is that he has placed a cardboard box with a crudely drawn <laughs> smiley face on top of Whisper Dan and placed Whisper Dan upon the throne. But this ends up being exactly what the goblins need. Right. The goblins... Still think that Whisper Dan wearing a cardboard box is Finn, and they tell the Finn that they tell this uh, this Silent King, hey, that's the title of the episode. Uh, they t- they tell this Silent King, oh, sire, you have defeated the army. When reality, of course, Finn defeated it, but all all glory is given to the monarch. And 
Whisper Dan does not respond, it actually requires a goblin to just like raise Whisper Dan's arm as if he is raising his arm in triumph. And this satisfies the goblins completely. I think apparently all they need is the appearance of a ruler. They don't need an actual active ruler in any way. This passive, non-moving, non-speaking ruler basically fits all of the rules that they have laid out for what they desire in a king. Yeah, Whisper Dan is kind of king by default, even though he doesn't appear to be interested in doing anything but just sitting there. And that allows Finn and Jake to head back to their normal lives, and we close out the episode. Yep. I think uh, this was a good one, too. I liked this kind of storyline of the, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a metaphor for, like, the wartime hero. Does that does that person make a good ruler? Like, is your oh, okay. prowess, does your prowess in battle mean... Because I think that that's generally accepted. That's been something that has been accepted over time, especially in the time of, like, kings and kingdoms, that... Um, that defining yourself in battle grants you the ability to become ruler. But even in modern times, I mean, we, we elect generals and things like that to positions of power all the time. Um, yep. Eisenhower being one of the more recent examples. So I think that the, the, the examination of that is, is interesting. Uh, clearly Finn and Jake are not good rulers. And we knew that going in that they would not be good rulers. And I think even they knew they would not be good at, uh, at being good rulers. But the populace didn't. The populace assumed, uh, the goblins, that is, they assumed that, yeah, if you can, if you can be Gorgiak or whatever, that you can be king. And that's, yeah, that's, that should not, that should never be the sole criteria for leading a people. Right. And the goblins seem to have devised a system to get around that by essentially creating a, a, a constitution that completely disables the monarch from actually exercising any power. I thought this episode. Uh, was full of interesting sort of political ideas and themes. I thought that many of them were pretty adult. Uh, I think that the signal for that was when Gummy introduces himself as the chief of staff. <laughs> right. That's an explicitly sort of political term, I think. And uh, no child, I don't think, is going to really know what a chief of staff is. Right, indeed. Yeah, I mean, the the, the goblins clearly desire all they want is a pure... They purely want a figurehead ruler. They do not want an active ruler in any kind, in any sense of that word. Yeah, I wonder what that makes the goblins in terms of, like, where they lean. Like, if we were to try to place them on a modern political spectrum, does that place them, like, in a libertarian sort of camp where they they want low government power? It's a little different because they, they definitely want to give all the glory to the government, but they don't want the government to be very active. But I wonder. I wonder I wonder where they would land. I, I, I think it it's not always and that it's not easy to translate sort of the goblins into a modern context because i think that our modern context doesn't really have room for an autocrat but the goblins are interesting in that they seem to have no innate sense of right and wrong as soon as no one is telling them that they can't do things they're starting a riot but they also kind of know that you can't just go around rioting all the time and so we need someone in charge who tells us that we can't riot, but we also don't want that king to be sort of activist and take over our lives. So instead, we're going to tie his hands, take over his life, make it so that he can't do anything. But just the idea of the king being there is enough to make us stay in line. Yeah, it's pretty absurd and pretty funny. It's 
pretty paradoxical the way they've decided to structure their society. Yeah, they've got no one forcing them to be good, but the the sort of knowledge that theoretically a king could tell them to be good is enough to keep them good. Even though they have explicitly created a system in that the king could never tell them anything because the king can't do anything. Right. It's a it's a very intricate series set of checks and balances that they've created for themselves. <laughs> uh. Yes, it is. It's a uh, it's a constitutional monarchy with a constitution that's so burdensome that the monarch is e- essentially neutered. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is uh, in, an embracement of bureaucracy to a uh, to an absurd degree. Yeah, and I think that Finn kind of. He doesn't understand this. Certainly at first he doesn't understand it. He has seen kings, you know, if you think about Princess Bubblegum, she's pretty obviously sort of setting policy and in charge in the Candy Kingdom, and and Finn thinks that that's what a king should do, and I think he's sort of okay with that idea as long as he gets to, like, lead the army into battle, but once it becomes clear that being a king of the goblins is not like being most kings and you are essentially just supposed to sit around and allow people to do things for and to you uh that's that's not going to work for for finn yeah it never will his tenure as king was always going to be short-lived and i think this is probably the best for him as well as as well as the best for the goblins that finn is not their ruler because he would have never been able to live up to their standards yes absolutely and i think that finn does realize by the end of the episode that what the goblins are looking for is Whisper Dan sitting on the throne, uh, just being manipulated by them and not providing any sort of actual authority or force of any kind. Yeah. Uh, if I could bring up one other point, I think that this episode started to deal with a, a topic that maybe hasn't been before. Well, it has been a little bit, but I think this is another example of Finn having to deal with the larger consequences of his actions in this world. Like he is, he is becoming powerful enough. He is, he is, he and Jake together are powerful enough to, to really shape the landscape, to really change power structures. And then being forced to deal with the consequences of that or the fallout of, I mean, they, they, they went in and forcibly uh, deposed a ruler and, and then they were, they had to deal with the aftermath of that. I mean, they are nation building. I think that's an interesting exploration that this episode did as well. I think that we've seen in the past that Finn and Jake have had to deal with certain consequences of their actions as well. But this is this was much on a much more political and sort of uh, larger scale than I think we've seen before. Yeah, maybe Finn will think twice before he deposes another ruler, knowing that he would create a power vacuum into which, if he can't slide, probably someone equally as bad as the ruler that he plans to depose will will slide in there. Right. All in all, I like this one. Of of the two we watched, I certainly like this one better, but I liked them both a lot. Good, good. I liked them too. I thought the the pods was a little bit of a throwaway. I definitely thought that this one had a more deep reading that you could do of it with all of the sort of... Everything takes me back to my political science major for whatever reason but this one really did because there was all sorts of politics going on in this episode that i do think that you need to be an adult to appreciate yeah but they smattered in just about as many uh butt and spanking jokes as you could on top of that to make it entertaining for kids 
And entertaining for me, too. I like the ham jokes. Yeah. Put away your hams is a pretty good line. <laughs> so all in all, two thumbs up for me on this episode and uh, a one thumb up for me on the first episode. Um, oh, by the way, I've started rating things by thumbs. And, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I usually ask you about, you know, how this sort of fits into your meta theory about the whole show, but I'm not sure we really saw much that would indicate whether this is, in fact, Finn's dream. Uh, I think the only thing that kind of evoked any sort of thought of the meta theory for me was the unification of Finn and Jake in this episode as one. Oh, yeah. As one. And I don't know that I have a theory as to, like, what that represents. I think we've already established that they are, they lead a pretty symbiotic relationship, even when they aren't physically a part of one another. I think that that is what I was trying to think of how to, the, the, the Jake suit really reminded me of something, and now that you say symbiotic relationship it's kind of like venom yeah it is it's kind of like venom sans the the evil demonic part of it but yeah it is it is a it's a symbiosis suit that jake can become for finn yep and we should note that after they defeat zergiak finn doesn't just hop right out of jake they walk off into the sunset still in the jake suit yeah he's totally comfortable walking around like that that was not just for utilitarian purposes they seem to be fine hanging out like that for a while yep all right so uh i'm glad that you enjoyed these so i i can safely assume that on the spectrum you got nudged a little bit towards the the fan side yeah i like talking about these this was a good one especially uh especially the silent king this was good awesome awesome well i think that that will just about do it for us then unless you got anything else interesting to say uh only to say thank you again to all the listeners as you continue to uh listen to the podcast we appreciate the time you spend with us and we do appreciate any feedback you want to give us if you want to send us a note on our facebook group or tweet at us or send us an email all of those are available to you and uh so thanks again to everyone just for uh for listening to the show yeah find us at podventure time podventure time at gmail.com if you want to use sort of an old-fashioned method of contact which i can't believe i just said that email is an old-fashioned method of contact but I guess I'm showing my age there. We also have to say, of course, thank you to Will Yates, who provided our intro and outro music. That's his song, Date Night. It's off of his EP, I Know the Feeling. If you want to pick up a copy of it, or at least a uh, meta meta copy or a... Uh, a metaphysical copy, yeah. Yes, a metaphysical copy. A, a copy not in the literal sense, but a, a copy of some digital files. You can head over to willyates.bandcamp.com uh, and pay what you want and, and download Will's great EP. So... As always, thank you, Will. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can, of course, if you're feeling really ambitious, rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, other than that, I guess we can just say see you next time. Yeah. See you next time. All right. Well, until next time, this has been Podventure Time. I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And this is where I'm supposed to say that this has been Podventure Time. No rules, baby. Start that riot. Riot.